going to hear it in my voice this morning. Um, I was uh, pretty sick, actually, earlier this week, and uh, uh, thankfully, uh, I feel better, but my, uh, my voice isn't here, and I just realized uh, how much I miss singing and how capable I am right now of only <laughs> a very small fluctuation in my, in my voice. Um, um, but uh, thankful to be here, thankful uh, to be able to be in God's Word uh, again with you this morning. I, I do ask if um, uh, there's a number of people that are actually uh, sick uh, today. I know um, Paula and my wife Nancy is sick and uh, Andy and Darcy are sick. Something really ripped through uh, the, the church over the last couple weeks and um, they're doing well. Uh, however, there is uh, one that we should uh, be interceding for and praying for this morning, and that's our, our dear sister Lucille. Um, she's well into her 80s, and, and I got a text this morning from Tanya that uh, she's in the emergency room. She fell last night, and she has internal bleeding, and she also has COVID. And uh, she said it doesn't look too well, but Lyle is with her uh, in the emergency room and, and caring for her, and, and we just want to um, pray for her uh, right now and just ask for God's grace to strengthen her and, and um, uh, to heal her. Um, I, I don't want to see her leave yet. Um, the Lord has that in his timing, um, but she has just been so dear to me, and, and I know to many of you, and so let's pray for, uh, for her uh, healing and strength, and for Lyle and the family as they, as they care for her, so why don't we do that right now? Father, we come before you this, um, this morning so thankful for how good you have been to us and how good you are to us. Even as we live in a fallen world and we suffer uh, the ramifications of sin in our fallen natures, Lord, yet we know that uh, the only reason that we are even here is because you have been good and gracious to us. Uh, you have given us lives to live on this earth, to enjoy the things that you have given to us, and, and to do that in spite of our um, just deserving uh, natures of your judgment and punishment. You have born with our iniquity and our sin and been so patient with us. We thank you for that love, and we are mindful that even sickness and disease is something that comes from you, uh, that you ordain it for your good purposes. You ordain it for uh, the sanctification of the one who is going through that and also for the sanctification of those who have sadness to see their loved one going through sickness. And so this morning, Father, uh, we pray for our dear sister, Lucille. Uh, we know, Lord, that she has been through much in the last years with you taking her husband home, and, and now she has gone through uh, various trials and sicknesses, and it just seems, Lord, like from our vantage point that this seems uh, pretty bad for her. Uh, we know that she is in your hands, and we know that she is cared for by you, um, no one can love her more than you do. We ask, O oh God, that you would 
uh, bring that reminder to her heart uh, this, this morning. Strengthen her and her soul that she might be comforted by the hope of Christ and the gospel. May her heart be filled with joy and thanksgiving, and, and may she not be struck with so much pain, Father, but that may she be struck with the beauty of Christ and the fact that her life and her soul is in your hands. At the same time, Father, we, we do pray for healing for her. We know that you are capable of, of doing that for our sister, that you are capable, O oh God, of causing the internal bleeding to stop and for her to be healed in an instant of, of COVID and to be restored in strength. Um, Lord, we know that you can do that, and, and we believe that, O oh God. And yet we know that it is not your intention for her to live here on this earth forever. It's not your intention for any of us to remain here. And yet we ask, God, we ask that you would give her strength, heal her, help her, O oh God, to come out of the hospital and, and to be well for as long as you see fit. We pray for Lyle and for all of his his brothers and their families. We know, Lord, that it is not easy to see loved ones go through sickness. And so in this time of, of difficulty for them and, and wondering about what will happen, we pray that the, uh, the peace of the gospel would shower over them, that they would find strength and hope in you and in the mutual encouragement of one another through your word. Lord, we pray for her, and we ask this of, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been considering uh, the high priestly prayer of our Lord over the last uh, two weeks, and we're going to finish our look uh, this morning at verses 20 uh, to 26. That's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful passage, uh, a beautiful reminder of just some really glorious truths here that we're going to uh, touch on as we as we consider these verses. So um, let us hear God's word. And uh, real quick, my son Ryan, he goes, "Dad, your voice it sounds it sounds so low." And I said, "Well, and I go, that's just the way that it is, you know, sickness." And so I'm going to share this with you. I thought about it, and I said to myself, I was just driving here, and I thought, well. What you can do is you can close your eyes and pretend that I'm a guest speaker today. <laughs> and then that way, those of you who usually close your eyes and maybe sleep during the service, you have to feel so bad because everyone else is also closing their eyes now. Anyway, that's just my... <laughs> okay, that's, that was really bad. Let's, let's read. Let's read God's, God's word. Okay. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Thus concludes the reading of God's word. Let us pray again. Lord, we thank you for your intercessory prayer for us. We know, Lord Jesus, there are many deep things and truths in your relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit that we don't even uh, know anything about. There is a depth of love and fellowship there that is so rich uh, that it's hard for us to understand. And yet, you have given us a glimpse here in this prayer, Lord Jesus, as you intercede for your church. And we ask that you would help us to see what we need to see. Uh, We pray for your blessing through the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So we, we've broken this prayer up into three parts, really for the sake of time. We looked at verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 19, and now we're looking at 20 to 26. But really, um, if you, you know, to break the prayer up like that, sometimes it, it prevents us from seeing the connections with what came before, right? Uh, it's really like that for all of reading scripture. You always want to know the context. And, and I think the context that came before this is very important in verses 6 to 19. And uh, we considered that last week. And Jesus made two very uh, specific petitions there for his apostles, you'll remember. Um, one of the petitions he made for them, the apostles specifically, one of the petitions was that they would remain in fidelity um, to the name of God, to the name of Jesus, that, that they would uh, not be compromised in, in their commitment to the truth about who Jesus is and what he revealed to them about himself and, and, and the gospel message. And so he prayed for God's protection to keep them and to guard them from the evil one who would seek to undermine them. And, and the second petition that he made was that they would be sanctified by the truth. And he said, your, your word is truth. And, and Jesus prayed uh, for his apostles to that end that they, would, that they would be sanctified in the sense of, yes, be made holy by the word of truth that Jesus had taught them, that they would, their lives would be pure, their thoughts would be pure, their, their um, endeavors would be holy and righteous, and they would, they would exemplify the holiness of God and, and sanctified by the truth in that sense, but also sanctified by the truth in the sense of being set apart unto the truth. So they, Jesus says, I am sending them into the world. And he sent them into the world to bring the gospel message into the world to call people to come to Jesus. And, and just as Jesus was consecrated as high priest and, and he set himself apart to willingly and voluntarily go to the cross to die for sins, 
the sin of people he knew. He wants these apostles to be set apart. He's sending them into the world so that they can bring this gospel message, the fidelity of God's name and truth and the gospel into a lost and a, in a fallen world. And while Jesus was with them, he protected them, he guarded them, but now he's leaving, and so he, he prays for them to that end. And so the connection here, which is really important in verse 20, you see it here, as Jesus is concluding his prayer, is that he now prays, you'll notice it says in verse 20, for those who will believe in him through their word. So he, he's broadening his prayer and his intercession to include every Christian that is to come in the future because of the apostolic witness. So, so understand what's going on here. And is all of us gathered here this morning we are, we are gathered here not because the gospel came in the whatever year you were saved for you to hear. Like, the, the, it's, it's not like suddenly in whatever year you were saved that the gospel arrived on the scene. When I was saved in, I don't even know exactly what year it was, but let's say 1988. It's not like the gospel arrived suddenly to me. God opened my eyes to something. He opened my eyes and my heart to the truth of the gospel, but the gospel that I received is the same gospel that these apostles received and proclaimed. It's the same good news that Jesus proclaimed by his word in Genesis 3.15 when, when the the promised seed would come, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. That gospel was ultimately fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, and Jesus then entrusts that witness to these apostles, and these apostles spread that message and inscripturated it in, in his word, and Jesus here is praying for all those who would come to believe in that gospel witness and through their word. That, to me, this week, and, and I hope it does for you, should thrill your hearts and minds. It, it should strengthen your soul to know that Jesus prays and prayed specifically for you. He prayed for all those who would come to him in faith through their ministry that he sent into the world. And that means this, that you, beloved, who are in Christ and saved, and even maybe now if you don't know Jesus and you haven't come to Jesus to be saved of your sin, know this, beloved, that you were not an afterthought in the mind of Jesus. You, you are not a rogue soul who happened to slip into his kingdom unbeknownst to him. You didn't just climb over the wicket gate and somehow get into the kingdom and 
and Jesus wasn't aware of you. This means that Jesus knew you and loved you and prayed for you before you were even born in this world. That is such a humbling thought. We are so self-centered. We, we, we really do think that the world revolves around us. I think that is our natural inclination. To think that the universe and the world all has to do with me and what happens to me and, and how my life ends and what I get out of this life. And we think like that. We, we think in this circular motion around ourselves and we put up these barriers because we think like it really is all about me. And, and our current media and our current environment does nothing but feed that. It just feeds it. But in reality, you and I were saved, beloved. And at this night when Jesus is praying and he's about to go to the cross and he's about to die for our sins and make a sacrifice for our sin, in this very night, you and I, in a very real sense, if you're in Jesus, were in his mind as he's praying. He thought of you and he loved you. And he knew he was going to the cross to die specifically for you. That God would consider such a small person to shed his love for and to pray for is, is absolutely phenomenal. And here's the thing. We've all known men and women that have been um, remarkable in their interceding for believers. I'm sure you've met them, right? Th those men or those women that you know that when you ask them to pray for you, that when they write it in their notebook, you know they're going to pray for you. And then there are those like Unfortunately, like myself sometimes, where people ask me to pray for them, where I say that I will pray for them, and, and I really do try as, as much as I can to, to be faithful to that. But, you know, sometimes I, I forget, and, and sometimes things slip my mind, and, and sometimes I, I don't actually, I told someone I'd pray for them, and I didn't end up praying for them. And, and uh, we're, we're on all spect spectrums, right? And what you brought up today, Dean, from Exodus 32 was perfect parallel because Moses interceded for the people, right? Moses came, and on behalf of the people, he prayed for them, and he poured his heart out to them. And Moses was a godly man. He, he, he is one of the only ones that are called in Scripture a man of God. And he intercedes for God's people, and God hears his prayer, and and it's a wonderful and it's a beautiful thing when Christians pray for each other. But at the end of the day, while we should all be praying for each other, all, all of those prayers pale in comparison to the fact that Jesus prays for you. And Jesus prays for me. The prayer 
of a righteous person has great power as it's working, James 5.16. Is there anyone who is more righteous than Jesus? No one. No one perfect. No one perfectly righteous. No one, no one who compares to his sinlessness and his perfection. And so you wonder, will his prayer avail much, beloved? Indeed, it will. The, pri- the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so we can know and rest, beloved, that if the Lord Jesus prayed for you here and me, that his prayer is assuredly as certain as certain can be. Calvin said, this is assuredly a remarkable ground of confidence. For if we believe in Christ through the doctrine of the gospel, we ought to entertain no doubt that we are already gathered with the apostles into his faithful protection so that not one of us shall perish. Let the world then condemn us a thousand times. This alone ought to satisfy us that Christ acknowledges us to be his, ter- his heritage and pleads with the Father for us. Indeed, beloved, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I, if you're in Christ. And there are three things he prays here that we should keep in mind. He prays for us. He prays for the church. And the first thing he prays for here is he prays for the unity of the church. He he prays for the unity and the fidelity of the church to his name in the same way that he prayed for his apostles. He prays that we may be one in fidelity to God's name, which means being unified in the truth, being unified in the name of God, which Jesus manifested to us through his word. And he says in verse 21, he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. That we, as his church, might remain in his name and be kept faithful to what he has revealed to us. And in verse 22 to 23, that we may be one, not only in his name and in the truth, but we may be one in our mission of making the name of Jesus known. Verse 22, that the glory you have given me, I have given, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. He prays for us that we may be one in fidelity to his name and one in fidelity to the mission of spreading that name unto the ends of the earth, just like he prayed for the apostles. Is that, you see the parallel here? He prays for the apostles, he prays for their witness, for their faithfulness, and he prays that the church would carry on, not create anew the gospel, not, not make something new for the culture, but that the church would be faithful to that witness 
and unified in that apostolic witness to the faith once for all delivered to the saints that we would faithfully then take that gospel into the world and that we would be unified in that. It's, it's, you hear a lot about people talking about the church being unified in, in love, and, and by unified in love, it means let's not judge people. Let's not say that, that people are outside the fold. Let's just get along, and let's just get along and sing kumbaya and be together, and everyone just, just not, don't ever stand for anything that's going to divide people. This is what churches want to do. They want to open the doors as broad as possible so that as many people as possible could be come into the church and not be offended and leave by the hearing of the gospel. And Jesus says, yes, he wants people to come and to hear the gospel, but not at the cost of sacrificing the truth of the gospel so that people come into the church. We must be faithful and unified in fidelity to what the scriptures have laid out before us, the apostolic witness that is given to us. We are not to create a new gospel. We are not to create a new mission. We are to be faithful to the old truth of God's word. And we are to hold it tightly. That's what Jesus asks God the Father to enable us to do, that we may be one in his name. Look, the world is growing in hostility to the truth of God's word more and more and more, and it never ceases to seek to undermine it. Satan is a roaring lion, and he's going about seeking whom he may devour, and the ones that he devours are the ones that give way to the uh, false gospels, the one that is tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine, and the ones who are willing to compromise on the truth of the gospel, those are the ones that Satan will ultimately devour. And Jesus says, and he prays, Oh, Father, help them to be one in the truth of that gospel. And Jesus not only prays for the unity of the church and the fidelity to the truth of the gospel, the Son also prays that we would be united under the headship of, of Christ. This is also included in the unity, not only in his name, not only to the truth of the gospel, but also that we may be one in, in him. That's why he says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. That is, 
one under the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the glory of his name and the truth of the gospel that we might come under his headship. So you can, you don't have to turn there, but read Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 to 16, and you'll see the headship of Christ um, over his church. So one in fidelity to his name, one in the mission of making it known, and one under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why does he do this and pray for this? This is important. Jesus says two things, the same thing, but in two different places. You look at verse 21a. He says he prays for their unity. He says, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then in verse 23b, he says, I have given them my glory that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In other words, the way that the church is going to grow the way God is, Christ is going to build his church. Christ is going to build his church not by a unity we produce on our own, but by reflecting this unity that Jesus calls us to when we reflect fidelity to his name, faithfulness to love one another, recognizing Christ as the head of the church, Jesus says, when do this, Father, cause them to do this so that the world may see. It's an evangelistic prayer that Jesus prays here. In our unity and genuine love for one another, we will attest to the world that we are Jesus' disciples and that we are recipients of God's redeeming love. We will testify to the world that we are adopted into God's family and that the Father has loved us even as he loved his blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who or what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. He wants us to put that on display, and you have to wonder why. What is it that's different about us than the world? Just look at the world. I mean, you've seen it. The world, maybe some of you who are younger haven't seen it enough yet, but the world is broken. It's broken. The, the world is, it's a ruined place. I know there are things in the world that seem so appealing and they seem so flashy and they seem like they're going to give you all that your heart desires, 
but you have to understand that we live in a world that is fallen and a world that is broken. And we live in a world that is filled with a ruined human race. And the human race is divided. It's divided and it's scattered and it is, quite frankly, it is messed up. But when the world sees the church, the world needs to see the church that is unified and that is loved and that loves each other because they're seeing something that the world doesn't offer. The world cannot give what to itself what it needs, and what it needs more than anything is to be brought back under the love and the care of God. The world needs to be reconciled to its creator. Beloved, we were reconciled to God through Jesus. And because we were reconciled to God through Jesus, we are called to put that on display in the way that we live. Is, is that too much to ask? That we be holy people like God is holy? Is it too much for God to say, would you be a people that resemble who I am? by the way you love and you're unified with people and so with, with each other. So it's an evangelistic appeal. And that leads us to this second thing that Jesus prays for here. And, and if it can't get any better, to know Jesus prays for us for that. But then look at what he prays in verse 24. It says, this is, uh, this is incredible. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, that's all saints are given ultimately to the Son by the Father, all saints who you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. You see, God showed his glory at portions of it at some times through the scriptures, right? He showed a glimpse of it to Moses when Moses was on Mount Sinai. He revealed some of his glory to the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? When he reveals a little bit of it to them. He revealed his glory in the pages of Scripture as we've read through the Gospel of John through various signs and miracles, and, and, and Jesus manifested the glory of his name to the world, most notably in his death and in his resurrection. He manifested his glory. Remember when he meets the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and he knocks the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, he knocks him off his horse as he's going to persecute Christians. He says, who are you? Why are you kicking against the goads? And, and he, it was so blinding for the Apostle Paul that he became, he became blind for a, a few days. 
because of the glory of Jesus manifested before him. God had revealed his glory through history in bits and pieces, but most of it and none of it actually was ever revealed in the in the unveiled splendor of its completeness. No one has ever seen completely the unveiled glory of God in all of its fullness. Moses had a little bit, but he was hidden under the cleft of the rock, and he shone before the people for a long time afterward. But no one has ever seen it fully. And we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus through the gospel, don't we? We see it, but, but all these sights and all that we know about Jesus and the glory of Jesus, we all know it by faith in what we read and what we hear and what we've believed. None of us are living by sight right now, are we? We're all living by what we've heard and the truth been proclaimed to us and we believe it and, and we see God's goodness and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness in Jesus Christ and we are so thankful to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, as Paul says, and we should be thankful for what we've been given to see. And yet Jesus says that one day, that faith will be turned to sight. And what you know in part, beloved, you will know more fully. One day, faith will give way to sight, and we will be with Jesus where he is to see the unveiled splendor of all of God's glory. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The thought, beloved, should rise our affections and longings for his return. What a day that'll be when Jesus, I see, there's no place in the world I'd rather be. I, I tell you honestly, there is no place in this world that I would rather be than in the presence of Jesus. Is it true for you, beloved? Is there somewhere else you want to be? Is there something else that you long for more? Not me. No other place. You know, I was reading John Owen's book, The Glory of Christ. Oh, man, what a, what a book. He just delves into talking about the glory of Christ. And most of the book is actually focused on seeing the glory of Christ by faith. But he has this one section. He says, uh, to whom... He is the hope of future glory. To them, he is the life of present grace. 
to whom he is the hope of future glory, to them he is the life of present grace. You see, in other words, whatever statement, whatever trials and tribulations we go through, Jesus is reminding us here in this prayer as he's praying for us that we need to fight our temptations and sins and struggles by focusing as much as we can on the glory of Jesus to be revealed to us. And there are going to be seasons in your life, you young ones, you're growing up, you're going to grow up, you're going to have seasons in your life where you may feel barren. Just ask any, any of the old people around that are walking around you, right? Am I right, old people? Right? We know. We've been there. You're going to feel, where did, where did Jesus go? And, and the reality is that it's not that Jesus has left. Jesus is there, and he's, he's always been with us, but sometimes he lets us go through these, these moments where we feel barren. And so Owen is talking about this, and he says, you know what you do when Jesus feels distant? Owen says, you should be like the spouse in the Song of Solomon. Be like the spouse in the Song of Solomon. Let me read chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Song of Solomon. It says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. You know what he's saying? Don't stop looking for the glory of Jesus. Don't stop longing for the glory of Jesus. Don't stop don't stop pursuing the glory of Jesus. Even when he feels distant, don't stop going after Jesus because he is not far. And when you find him again, you will see that he is there. And he says, don't let him go. Don't let him go. Hold him. No matter where you go in life, Hold him and long to be with him. Long to love him when you are away on a trip. Long to love him when you are at school. Long to love him when you are with your family and you've moved across the country. He doesn't leave. He is with you and do not let him go. Just like the Song of Solomon, the spouse, when she found him, she held him. I will not let him go. 
You see, we should labor to know Jesus more and more, more of his glory in this life, and you will know the present grace that he has given to you. And Jesus has promised that we shall be with him where he is forevermore. And we will actually see his glory like never before. Mm. How our Lord prays for us. And then finally, quickly. Jesus prays for us here. For our unity. For our coming glory. Here that we might have God's love in us and displayed among us. He says in verse 23, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Why? that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see, his point here, beloved, is that we are not only objects of God's love, like in verse 23, but we are to be transformed unto God's love. Christ was loved by the Father on our account that we might be made partakers of the same love and might enjoy it forever. And the more we learn of God's gracious self-disclosure in Christ, the more we learn about Jesus, which Jesus says he will continue to teach us, the more we will come to know and abide in God's love, and the more God's own love for his Son will become our love. How much does the Father love the Son? Perfectly. Without fail. And Jesus says, I want that love that you have loved me with, Father, to be in them. The only way in which we are included and that love is for Christ then to be in us. I made them to them, you're known your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me, Father, may be in them and I in them. We need Christ to love like this. So I know there's a lot here, but unity, beloved, Unity, glory, love. Unity, glory, love. That's what Jesus prays for us, that we would know those things more fully. And I pray we would. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no, there's no words that really can be 
said to make what you have prayed here for us um, more glorious than they are. You are so kind to intercede, so loving to intercede for us. To know that even 2,000 years ago that you were thinking about all of the saints who would come to saving faith in your name. To be here this morning and to know that you have prayed for us, what more comfort and strength can we draw? Like you told your beloved Apostle Peter, when you told him that Satan wanted to sift him, you said not to worry that you have prayed for him that his faith would not fail. And indeed, you sustained him, and what a comfort that must have been for him to recall that you prayed for him after he fell so miserably. Oh, Lord Jesus, we think and cherish the same thought here. We know that we have failed you miserably, that we have sinned against you time and time again, even as your children, that we bring our sin before your throne of grace and we plead for your forgiveness and ask for your mercy and ask that you would wash us and we find comfort in this passage to know, Lord Jesus, that like you prayed for Peter, you here have prayed for us that our faith would not fail. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for praying for our unity, for praying that we would be kept faithful to your word, that we would not compromise the gospel, Lord Jesus. Help us to be a faithful church in a dying world. You've prayed here that we might behold your glory Indeed, Lord Jesus, help us to be a church that longs for that glory. Help us to be a church that elevates your name and exalts it in the world. To never compromise or sacrifice the truth for the sake of our own glory. Oh God, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for praying for your love to be an emblem of what marks this church. We thank you for showing us your love and for forgiving us and for saving us. And now we pray, oh God, that we would be a church marked by that love. To the end, that we would be witnesses for your kingdom, that it would grow and be strengthened, that it would be built for the glory of your name. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our high priest. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your death and your resurrection and for your cleansing blood. We give you all the glory in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.